watchers in the fourth dimension. The great hairy beastie is a doctor. Revitalizing is just what I need. Well, now I know you're mad. I just wanted to make sure. Now, is it safe? Oh, I shouldn't think so for a moment. Hello, and welcome back to Watchers in the Fourth Dimension. I'm Anthony. I'm Don. I'm Julie. And I'm Riley. This episode, we return to do our now customary season retrospective. The way that we tackle this is to work our way through a series of award-style categories related to the season, before moving on to Don's most favourite segment in the whole world, a recap of some of our more quantitative measures from across the season. And then finally, because I actually remembered to ask this time, we'll have some questions from our Facebook followers. We will jump straight in and start with best and worst stories. The options for this are the Tomb of the Cybermen, the Abominable Snowmen, the Ice Warriors, the Enemy of the World, the Web of Fear, Fury from the Deep, and the Wheel in Space. Riley, over to you. Best story, sorry to be obvious, Tomb of Cybermen. Classic Who villain, put in an interesting setting. This also could very well be Victoria at her best. All the supporting characters are unique, interesting, and fun. There's Captain Hopper, who can't speak proper American English. There's Klieg, who's the worst negotiator ever. There's Captain, uh, who you know likes to dress like she's living in Florida in the 60s. And of course, there's Toberman, who sacrifices himself, RIP. The direction is great. The plot makes sense. Unlike most of season five, no horrible boss is in sight. And it's only four episodes long. So... Tomb of the Cyberman, easy. Wouldn't Klieg Angel. be a horrible boss? Is Klieg the boss, though? I thought... He's bossy. Eh. And the guy that's technically in charge doesn't really do anything. I'm just asking. I thought Kaftan was kind of the dom in that scenario. Oh, yeah. She was the money, wasn't she? Well, she was also Toberman's boss. Yeah. Yeah. And worst story. Well, I'm not going to dwell on it too long because it was the last one we covered. Wheel in Space. For the same reasons I mentioned last time, rehash of all season five's bits, reused villain, horrible boss, base under siege, and let me point out to the Cybermen, four episodes, Wheel in Space, six. If only that were flipped, I think that would have been wonderful. All right, that makes sense. Well, Julie, over to you now. Best story, Enemy of the World. It's glorious, it's wonderful. You get to see Troughton at his best, getting two completely different roles to play. And having really a third role of him pretending to be the other role that he plays. You have some really strong female characters in both Astrid and Fariah. You've got the different tones that it shifts to in the first two episodes to the next two the, to the next two. You get the amazing chef that we all know <laughs> and love. That we want to be the chef of the TARDIS. And it was never boring in all six episodes. Enemy of the world. And worst. Oh, that's tough. I'm going to go with, I really dislike the Ice Warriors. So I'm going with Ice Warriors. The main reason why is really for me is the Ice Warriors should have been taken out of that entire serial. They were unnecessary. The plot was about really man versus computer. And if you should listen to what a computer says, which would have been interesting, except it somehow they made it not interesting (laughs) (laughs) the ice warriors were just there because they needed a monster of the week makes sense don over to you friend at least ice warriors wasn't the smugglers (laughs) (laughs) most of my stuff has already been covered so i don't have to talk much for this that's awesome (laughs) best story for me was a tie enemy Mm. of the world because it's probably the actual best story within this it does something very different 
and it stands out even more because it's in a sea of base under siege episodes but my favorite is probably tomb of the cybermen for all those awesome reasons that riley gave a moment ago for the worst this was a little tricky because this is not my favorite but it's not terrible i don't think there's an actual really bad episode throughout the entire season it's just because they're all variations on a theme you get kind of dragged down with it but my worst is fury from the deep as much as I love the concept, the parts that were bad were really bad and kept dragging me right out of the story. And that was annoying. And I found myself basically checking the time to wait until that character would be leaving the scene. And then I could go back to enjoying it. I wonder which character that was. It's, it's a mystery. <laughs> and um that leaves us in my hands to r- wrap up these ones i think i'm with everyone else it for me it's enemy again it's a wonderful character piece i apparently was rather harsh on it when we actually did our episode or or at least rather harsh on david whittaker in which case i feel like i may have misrepresented myself it's it's a wonderful wonderful piece of tv and certainly one that has hugely had a reevaluation once it was rediscovered seven years ago and i really really enjoy it and really love it it's fun it's entertaining it's got great characters it's wonderful to see Troughton really stretch his acting chops so i love that and then a close second is tomb for exactly the same reasons that riley and don said it's it's a really fun snappy adventure that kicks off the season and then in terms of my least favorite I'm with Julie, it's Ice Warriors. It just felt really disjointed to me. And I, I think I've made the same comments of really, they could have left the the villains that it, the story was named after out of the story. And it would have been a lot better. It really felt like, as Julie suggested, that whole man versus computer and a warning over the dangers of becoming too reliant on technology. And the writers felt obliged to include a monster just because they had to, and it didn't really work. Not terrible, just not overly successful. So just to rewrite, do you think it would have been a better episode if the computer had actually been just evil and trying to destroy them while giving them advice? No, I I actually don't think so. Rather than an evil computer, again, I think it's, it's that question of how reliant on computers should we be and should we get to a point where we rely on them solely for decision making. The way it was written with the computer basically unable to make a decision because of the threat to itself was really, really interesting. I think it's pretty relevant today. We have computers in our pockets now and we can just look up whatever we want and we really are losing i think a little bit of our own you know mental capacity so i think it's even relevant today yeah anthony would your opinion change if the computer turned out to be evil but also you learned that it was originally programmed by richard Pryor, like in superman 3 oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, i i decline to answer that but no, I, I I think, honestly, just take the Ice Warriors out of that story and it would have been a lot better. You suck. <laughs> <laughs> thanks. Oh, that should be thanks. Next up, we have best and worst moments. So there is no shortlist for this. It can be, well, these two can be anything from the course of the season. So again, Riley, we will start with you. Best moment, Faraya slapping the hell out of Binnick right before she died. The acting was great in that moment. The death was tragic and she went out strong. It was impressive. And what got me is for a sci-fi show where literally 
anything can happen from like freaking Monopteras flying around. Her slap just like really just I was like, whoa, like, okay, that was cool. That was like a great emotional hit. Uh, And it was just amazing. Yeah. And I considered that at the time period, 1968, I'm sure that the racial context in that scene may have ruffled some feathers, perhaps. And I find it really interesting that just 10 months later, Kirk and O'Hara kiss on American television on Star Trek. I think it would have ruffled fewer feathers in Britain than it would have yeah, in the most US. Likely. But yeah. I mean, even so, yes, there probably would have been a few people whose noses were put out of joint by that. For worst moment, uh, I had difficulty with this because I didn't want to hit on something I had recently criticized. And since we did the Wheel of Space class, it carried over so many bits that I disliked from previous serials. So I looked in another direction, completely different direction. And I'm going to go with the animation of Jamie and the standoff in Fury from the Deep, where despite the terrifying Lovecraftian blob monster lurching towards him and the doctor, he just casually wanders down a hallway like he's a house guest trying to find a door that leads to the bathroom. It made me laugh uncontrollably the first time it happened. But now when I think back to it, I'm like, man, I really like that serial. I really think that scene would have been amazing. And I think what should have been terrifying and creepy kind of just had all the air taken out of it there because the animation could have just done something better there. Fair enough. All right, Julie, over to you. Best and worst moments. Some difficulty here because there were some things that I thought about that don't fit any of our categories. So I'm going to put them in these categories because they don't fit anywhere else. Best moment. If I'm not going with an actual moment, it's the costuming throughout most of the season. Mm. I love the costuming. The Ice Warriors, Enemy of the World, wheel, even the Wheel in Space. I thought that it was all on point and it was amazing. But if you're going to force me to choose a moment, I will go with the beginning of the Abominable Snowman when they're having their interactions, like Jamie, Victoria, and the Doctor on the TARDIS digging through his trunk, trying to find something, and he finds the bell I love those character moments when we get to see them interacting with each other. And he tells Jamie, no, not the bagpipes. <laughs> Worst moment. I'll actually choose just a moment. It's any time that Robson yells or Victoria screams <laughs> in Furry from the Deep. Fair. I don't think that needs an explanation. Yeah, we'll give you that. Yeah. All right, done. Best moment. Really difficult. There were a lot of good ones in this season. I went with the doctor talking to Victoria about bringing his people back in his mind. I thought that was very emotional and heartfelt, and it was just a nice moment between the characters. Also, the introductory museum scene in Web of Fear, really good, liked the way it was shot, just liked Mm. the way it was felt, Mm -hmm. very cool. My worst moment has already been taken, which is (laughs) literally every moment Robson is on screen in Fury from the Deep (laughs) until he gets taken over by the seaweed. And then he's tolerable, and yet I still wanted him to die. <laughs> so just Robson in just, general. Just Robson in general. <laughs> That's fair. That checks out. I think of all the bad bosses, he seemed to be the most disliked of the season amongst this crowd. I think, and this goes for even the wheel in space, if they had started out by showing him as being a much more competent and rational leader and then actually showing him decline quickly rather than just sucking ass from the word go. <laughs> I would have liked it better, but instead yeah. it just, it, it ruined it for me. That makes sense. I see where you're coming from. 
All right, best moment. Uh, actually, I'm going to... There, there are some mirrors in my best and worst moments, and that's because they both involve the Cybermen. My best moment is that absolutely spine-tingling scene of mm. the Cybermen breaking out of mm. their, their pods yeah. in the tomb, um, breaking through that cellophane or whatever it is. That, I think, is so well shot. It looks great. And then conversely, my worst moment is the cyber spacewalk at the end <laughs> of the wheel in space, where I don't know what the hell they're doing. Oh, that but little, that was the best. I'm a fairy. <laughs> I mean, uh, completely defy the laws of physics because there's nothing for me to push off against as I walk through space. la di da di da it, it just doesn't work for me. So that's, that's my worst moment. So Cybermen for both. It was the best of Cybermen, it was the worst of Cybermen. Is that what you're saying, Anthony? <laughs> exactly. I think it's hugely interesting that we start the season with a Cyberman story and end the, se the season with a Cyberman story. And one is leaps and bounds ahead of the other in terms of quality. And uh, that's reflected in my best and worst moments. Which brings us on to our next categories, best lead actor. So we have Patrick Troughton as the Doctor, Fraser Hines as Jamie. Deborah Watling as Victoria, and introducing, for one story only, although she'll be <laughs> back next season, Wendy Padbury as Zoe. Riley, best lead actor. I want to say Fraser Hines, because I feel like he had such versatility as a companion, willing to be, you know, tough guy, but also showing so many other sides, like in Enemy of the World. But then again, Troughton in Enemy of the World playing Salamander is just so much fun. Uh, it's just too tough. So I decided to make my decision on who took less vacation days. And I'm <laughs> guessing that's Fraser Hines. So he gets my vote. I thought you were going to break the tie by choosing <clears throat> best hair. <laughs> that would also be Fraser Hines. Yes. I yeah. Yes. Yes, it would. <laughs> Speaking of Fraser Hines, Julie, your turn. <laughs> you see, you see there, I actually have to absolutely go with Patrick Troughton. And Whoa. it is predominantly because of Enemy of the World. That's probably one of the finest pieces of television I've seen in a long time. And that's saying something in this new era of television. And it's a large part because of him. I mean, he's done well in all the other episodes, but that one, he just shone so brightly in that. And I just have to go with him. There's still another season for Jamie. Love it. Don, over to you. Oh, come on. It's Patrick Troughton. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yes, Frazier's good, very good, but Patrick Troughton lifts every scene that he's in without stealing it. He always plays it pitch perfect, and I'm I'm really going to miss him when he moves on. But when you combine him with that little bit of comedy you get by pairing him with Frazier Hines, oh, perfection. Oh. Yeah, chef's, I'm chef's kiss, chef's kiss, chef's, chef's kiss. <laughs> I'm absolutely with you. And Patrick Troughton is my choice as well. I think he was my choice last season, but this season he has uh, calmed his portrayal of the Doctor down. We don't have those kind of manic moments that he had in Power and the Highlanders, for example. We've got a much more mellow character and his ability as an actor is just outstanding he's got that comic timing that you mentioned don he has lines of dialogue that he just makes absolutely triumphant don you mentioned the doctor talking to victoria in tomb there's that line of wheel in space that i highlighted last time it's he's just so so good and i think really revitalized the show so i'm i'm with julian don in that it's it's patrick troughton next up 
Best Supporting Actor. So that's anyone who's been in the season who is not covered in our Best Lead Actor category. Riley, again, we start with you. I really thought about this and I had a tough time, but I found someone. I found someone that (laughs) stood out to me as nice, calming stone of a presence. And that was Roy Spencer as Frank Harris in Fury from the Deep. In a season with raspy sounding, possessed Tibetan leaders, slimy henchmen, and loud, crazy bosses, I would like to focus on, and let me underline this, the subtle performance of Roy Spencer. Man's wife gets turned into a seaweed monster. He is alarmed, but he isn't shouting every word. He's just <laughs> upset, restrained, calm. He he shows that he's a decent person, and he can show subtlety. That's it, and he can... He doesn't have to smash it in your face like so many other characters where it's just like, I'm mustache twirly evil or brash and loud. It's just nice and calm. And it's just a really nice tone up portrayal. And I kind of wonder, could any of these other actors even just do something like that? And it just was a breath of fresh air to me. I dig it. Julie. What I found is that there were a lot of good women in this season. And it took me a little time. I did, in the end, I think I'm going to go with Mary Peach's Astrid. She's kick-ass. She takes no crap from anyone. She played that really well without being the obnoxious woman who is is terrible and everyone just wants to punch her because she's in your face about it. And I liked what they ended up doing with her character. And yes, she ended up saving those people who were buried underneath the earth from Salamander because she's just a strong, powerful character. But I do want to call out Dr. Gemma and Faraya were also amazing. So Don, aside from Victor Madden as Robson, who's your (laughs) best supporting actor? Like Julie said, there were a lot of good people to choose from. It was actually very difficult. And if someone said, well, what about this person? I'm like, okay, you're right. That's another good one. I went with Anne Riddler, who played Gemma mm-hmm. Corwin in Wheel in Space. Mm. I okay. liked the fact that she was smart. She was competent. She was the very definition of nonplussed. I just liked the way she played, knowing full well Jamie was completely lying to her, to her face, and suddenly letting him know that she knew exactly what he was doing, but that it was okay but she'd get back to him later. Loved it. She was great. I liked her a lot as well, actually. It seemed to me like they were really framing her up as a potential companion. My choice for this one, and maybe I'm letting knowledge of what's to come sway me a little on this, <laughs> but I am going with Nicholas Courtney as Colonel Lethbridge-Stewart <laughs> in The Web of Fear because he comes into that story and is immediately a calm figure who takes charge tries to instill some discipline in in an army force that seems to be falling apart at the seams in terms of morale at this strange menace that they're fighting in the London Underground. And he just really works for me. It really says something that he's brought back time and time again in the future. Um, And I think that says a lot about the way Nicholas Courtney portrays him. There were others that were very, very close, but I think he's my choice for this season. That takes us on to our next category, which is Best and Worst Villain. The nominations for this one are The Cybermen for The Tomb of the Cybermen and The Wheel in Space, The Great Intelligence and The Yeti for The Abominable Snowmen and The Web of Fear, The Ice Warriors for The Ice Warriors, would you believe? 
salamander from the enemy of the world and the weed creature creating all sorts of reefer madness in fury from the deep riley best villains for me this season oak quill and the seaweed monsters look scary check at creepy check to pick stages of decay like any good body horror does that plays upon our universal fear of aging and dying check trivia just like all the other villains that were asked to come back again this season they asked them to come back and they said nah we're too good for that we're going to pass on that (laughs) i don't think that's true i think you're a liar (laughs) (laughs) they they had to back out when only oak said yes Yeah, Oak and Quill had like a bad breakup like Simon and Garfunkel. It was nasty. The Lenny and Squiggy of evil. (laughs) (laughs) All right, and worst villain. They're fuzzy, they're waddly, and they come with their own removable control spheres. That's right. This Christmas, get your child their very own little chonker. Terms and conditions may apply. May shoot silly string all over your home. May wander aimlessly down subway tunnels. May cause child to be possessed by an ancient outer space entity, resulting in coughing, emphysema, and droning monologues. Well played, sir. Well played. And and just to clarify, you are solely nominating the Yeti and not the Yeti in combination with the Great Intelligence. Correct. Excellent. Julie, how are you going to top that for best and worst villain? Well, I'm not even going to try for any of that nonsense. (laughs) But best villain, I think, is the Cybermen from Tomb of the Cybermen. They were the right level of creepy... You had the the one that was the controller, right? Yes. I'm trying to go back and yeah, remember. Yeah, it was the mm-hmm. controller yes. in tomb and the planner and in wheel. The controller is significantly better than the planner. <laughs> <laughs> that Cybermen bureaucracy, I'm telling you. <laughs> they really played with the Cybermen really well in that. Again, uh, it was already mentioned when they were breaking out of their little cocoon pod things, whatever we want to call them, and I just really enjoyed them and worst villain since you're not going to prompt me is (laughs) the ice warriors because they didn't even belong in that serial i was really hoping it was going to be the cybermen from (laughs) oh i was tempted (laughs) believe me i was tempted but if it just weren't for the fact that the ice warriors just really didn't need to be there it was going to be the cybermen (laughs) I agree with you. I, I find it fascinating with the Ice Warriors that our general consensus that they really didn't need to be there, they come back five times over the course of the show. The thing is, is I can see where they would be a, a decent villain. They just were not utilized in the story that they were trying to tell. I agree with that. Don, you're up next. Best and worst villain. Best, probably Salamander, because he's a legit villain and not just a monster. He was obviously well played and just really good. That's all I have to say. The worst was a tie. <laughs> the cyber planner from Wheel in Space. He is clearly <laughs> working against his own people, probably because they cyberized him into some sort of modern art sculpture of a humanoid. I know I'd be pissed. And also, and equally questionable, the great intelligence. Please see my air quotes there. Because his answer to every problem is Robot Yeti. He has a problem. I get it. It's funny that you mentioned those two because those were my runner-ups for those two categories. For best villain, I am with Riley on the weed creature. It is creepy as hell and just 
the way it seems relentless and almost unstoppable until obviously the Doctor finds a way to stop it. It's a force of nature and it's just there and it's always been there. It's not a threat from outer space. It's just something that's been lurking in the deep on our own planet since the dawn of time. It's, as Riley says, very Lovecraftian and I love the imagery that comes with it. Is it really that threatening if the worst enemy it could possibly ever face would be Susan? <laughs> but it takes someone to realize that uh susan and, and victoria's superpowers I, could be used against i don't it. know i just think anyone that saw it would yell and then it would leave i don't know worst villain i'm going with don it's it's the cybermen from specifically from wheel their plan and the plan that the planner and that the plan that the planner was planning to plan came up with was abysmal it's the flimsiest plan and all it took was for one thing to go wrong and everything would have fallen apart. It's virtually nonsensical. I know we complained about that a lot last episode. So if you want to hear the, our in-depth confusion over what they were planning, <laughs> go back and listen to that because it's bonkers and it just made zero sense. So I'm going with the Cybermen and the Cyber Planner from Wheel. Okay, which brings us to my favorite categories. Best Director as well as the Richard Martin Award for Worst Director. The Dicky. As Don calls it, The Dicky. Our nominees here are Morris Barry for The Tomb of the Cybermen, Gerald Blake for The Abominable Snowman, Derek Martinus for The Ice Warriors, Barry Letts for The Enemy of the World, Dougie Camfield, our old favourite, for The Web of Fear, Hugh David for Fury from the Deep, and Tristan Devere Cole for the wheel in space. Riley, over to you. Best director. I was stuck between Morris Berry for Tomb and Barry Letts for Enemy. Tomb is great all around. Looking back at it, what I really stands out to me about Tomb outside of the famous scene of the Cybermen coming out of their little hive is that when you think about the tomb itself, all the scenes, all the sets, you have a, a great understanding of where everything is, like where are all the rooms, how they're all connected. I was like, wow, you know, when I think about so many of these other bases under siege kind of stories and how they're all camped in, I couldn't tell you where one room was compared to another. And so just get that sense of space and understanding of where all the characters are, even when they're off screen, was very handy. For Enemy, I thought that they were very, very frugal with it, but the split screen for doing Troughton as both characters was really well executed for that time period. Also, I was fascinated by that rear projection shot when Jamie is walking back from Salamander's little lair, so to speak, to walk back to Victoria and Astrid in the park. That was just such an interesting choice, and it was enjoyable. And I wonder how he got the money for it. Those are the two that st stood out to me. Worst director, Tristan De Devere, Cole. Frolicking Cybermen, yes, we've talked about that. But also, let's not forget the completely bizarre death scene of... Kamel Rudkin getting taken out by Cybermats. Not only was the performance weird, but how it was shot was just strange. The whole Wheel of Space has so many uneven choices and tone throughout, so that's my choice for voice director. I have a feeling you won't be alone on that one. <laughs> Julie. Riley, you missed the opportunity to say that the best director was Morris Barry Letts. <laughs> ah, no! The hideous mutant creature derived from combining their <laughs> DNA together. <laughs> but yes, I do agree. Those were the two best stories with the two best directors. Again, 
It's a lot that Riley already mentioned. Just getting those shots, the Tomb of the Cyberman, getting a sense of the space, the setup of everything there, the room with all the the buttons and the lights um, when they're getting hypnotized. Psychedelic Uh, shooting gallery. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yes. And then Enemy of the World, just, again, it's partially my favorite, but the change of tone that they went between some of the episodes to kind of give it different feel for it's a spy thriller oh it's like an actual just you know drama thriller and oh like here's some sci-fi sci-fi elements and oh here's the people who are like kind of a cult now because <laughs> they've been <laughs> trapped under under the earth it's it's just really interesting to see all of those different elements fit into a story and they work for the sake of not repeating Tristan because that is obviously going to be I think the, the big one. I'll also throw in the hat, um, Derek Martinus and the Ice Warriors. As I've already mentioned before, there's a lot of things that doesn't work in that. The Ice Warriors are very clunky and just didn't really work too well for me. I don't disagree with that. Don? My choice for best director was Morris Berry for Tomb of the Cybermen for all the reasons everyone's already listed, but I did want to give a special mention to Douglas Camfield. I don't know if he likes to be called Dougie, and I don't want to be forward. Douglas Camfield for The Web of Fear. <laughs> because I really enjoyed the way that was shot. Enjoyed the way it worked. Very good. And of course, for me, the dicky goes to Tristan Devere Cole. Because, oh my god, there are some questionable shot choices in that. But the, the fight of the Cybermats was weird. And of course, the Cybermen doing their little spacewalk. That was a thing that happened. <laughs> Uh, you have that you have the weird ball eggs whatever the hell they were that they came from it was just a weird questionably shot material even though i mostly enjoyed it so i'm going to join the crowd Uh, i'll add to the barry letts train for best director they should bring him back at some point to do some more work on doctor who or something i mean it's almost like he was really really good but yeah, he, he presided over, I think, what turned out to be an outstanding serial. For all of the reasons that Riley and Julie mentioned, I don't want to make this a tie, so I'm giving my sole vote here to Barry Letts. For the dicky, I will be joining Riley and Don with Tristan Devere Cole, and I would like to add on what to what they've already said, in that we know from behind-the-scenes stuff, he added and changed a few things. One was to make the cast a little more international, which involved making a, a white dude be Chinese. Which did not sit very well at all. And as soon as I heard the accents, even as a telesnap reconstruction, I was like, wait, this guy isn't Chinese. This doesn't sit well with me. Unless you're Galaxy Quest, you really can't do that. (laughs) (laughs) Again, the direction in that story was flat. There were some weird choices. It just didn't work out very well. And I think it could have been better. He proved from the first episode and the, the atmosphere and the creepiness of that, he can do something good. It just didn't pan out for the other five episodes. So he's my choice. Our final awards for this season go for best use of music and worst use of music. So Riley, we will once again start with you on that. Best use of music for me, the opening music for the Ice Warriors. Fun vocals, very groovy, Star Trek-esque. It really sets the stage for what will inevitably end up being a man waiting for a computer to tell him what to do. But but <laughs> when you hear that music at the beginning, you really think you're in for something and it gets you all excited. A uh, worse use of music, I looked over 
all of my notes from all season to try to find some place where I made a crack or a negative comment about the music. I could not find one since I can't remember. I'm just, and it's also because it was just stock music and not anyone personally that wrote anything particularly for that episode. And since I didn't like the serial that much, sorry, Don, I'm going to go with the stock music that played over the foam lurching towards people in the <laughs> web of fear. Okay, Julie. I'm going to put two things in my best music because one is, if not very obvious, it should be obvious to you guys, is the Skyboat song. Mm. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yep. Just have to throw that out there. That was a thing that happened. And me being a huge Outlander fan, that was the thing. But honestly... I remember when I was watching the first episode of Enemy of the World, I thought the music was phenomenal for that, especially with the helicopter chase scene and all the other fighting and things that happened, and just specifically the first episode, because it was not as impressive throughout the rest. The first one was a really good setup. Worst music is actually for me in The Ice Warriors, not the opening, but the weird circus music. (laughs) Yeah, that didn't work for me because there was nothing circus-esque thing happening. Just, no. I don't know. I can get on board with that. (laughs) Done. It's going to be real short. My best use of music was the Ice Warriors, and my worst use of music was the Ice Warriors. Yes! (laughs) Because it went from impressing me to really annoying me to impressing me and back and forth, (laughs) so it gets both of my votes. That's impressive. I dig it. Yep. I'm still disappointed on that theme that no one put the Cybermen as both best and worst villains. So, Don, I'm glad you found something to use the exact same thing for best and worst of something else. My best use of music, I'm I'm going with the music in Tomb. It was that bringing back that motif from the stock music that they used in the Moonbase for the Cybermen that, mm. that worked really, really well. And I just really enjoyed having that back. In terms of worst music... I'm joining the Ice Warriors train for exactly the same reasons. It, again, not necessarily the the higher, more enjoyable pieces, like as Riley mentioned, the opening music. But when when the music on that story is bad, it's it's really bad. That brings us to all of our metrics and so on, as well as the season averages and so on for our scores. Welcome back to Number Wayne, kids. <laughs> <laughs> for the camp counts, we only counted two for the entire season one instance in the tomb of the cybermen and one instance in the web of fear we have a a big zero for the i'll explain later count and only one for quarry query which means this is our lowest season so far in terms of our trope counts maybe we will see some improvement over there next season all right so some averages and so on all of us rated the enemy of the world pretty high riley you you had it tied for joint top with tomb of the sidemen but for the rest of us it was the story that we all rated the highest all four of us had enemy and tomb as our two highest rated stories our lowest rated stories for myself it was the wheel in space and the ice warriors for don it was the ice warriors and fury from the deep julie had the abominable snowman and the ice warriors and Riley had the Web of Fear and the Wheel in Space. You were the Oh, and the Ice Warriors was tied with Web, so technically you had a bottom three. I think for all of us, there was a common theme. The Ice Warriors was not a favorite of the show. <laughs> <laughs> that had a, the lowest story average of the season at 4.5. The highest was The Enemy of the World at 9.13, which is still our highest Nine. rated story to date. 9.13. Yeah. So I'm, I'm waiting for the day that we have something that gets higher than that. In terms of how it rated in comparison to other seasons, it had our third highest score. We liked season two and season four better. 
and then our lowest rated so far is season three season one is is in fourth place and so since i actually remembered to ask for them this time we have some questions from facebook our first one comes from our friend nathan laws of the 42 cast fame who asks which other character from this season would have been a good choice to join the tardis crew either in addition to jamie and victoria or as a replacement for victoria and i am paraphrasing these questions before anyone listening gets upset that i didn't read their question out verbatim all right riley i'm gonna go with faraya i think so and the reason why is that there needs to be a lady in there yeah you have to have jamie and the doctor you have to have that because that's just we've already talked about that it's a dynamic duo so we have to get a lady in there and i was thinking about it and i was thinking that faraya would be the best pick she is strong and yet very subtle, because I especially liked how in Enemy of the World, how she put on that like facade of being like with Salamander, but also willing to just go ahead and be like, no, he's absolutely terrible, but I'm going to keep my cool and make it seem like, you know, so she knows how to be really, really just reserved. And I think that'd be a really interesting, you know, in, in, in thinking about plots and stuff. So I'm going to go with that. She would have also been the first minority companion 40 years before Martha comes along. Yeah. Yeah. That would have been good. All right, Julie. Just for the sake of, of keeping things light, because I kind of want to have fun with this, we're going to go with the chef. <laughs> that was also my answer. <laughs> I mean, part of that's in a little bit of fun, but also at the same time, that would be something completely different to have as a dynamic. Someone who's a little bit more neurotic and always saying how things are terrible and just imagine that in the TARDIS when it's like, oh, well, like we landed in a terrible place and just him walking around and being like, oh, my gosh, we're all going to die. And, you know, they're all going to hate me. And here here's this food. I hope it doesn't poison you. It just it would be hilarious. So you're welcome, guys. Don, have you had time to, to rethink or are you going to stick with Julie's answer as well? My first choice was going to be Griffin, Salamander's cook. But I never wanted him to leave the TARDIS. I wanted oh. them to come back every so often, like when they were running the tests in uh, Free From the Deep. <laughs> and he's just there and complaining and providing comic relief. He's just, just there. My more serious choices was either Astrid or Gemma. Yeah. Because they were very collected and on top of things. And for that matter, Fariah would have also made an excellent companion. I'm with that. My my choice was going to be my non Griffin the Chef choice was going to be Astrid for exactly that reason. I like the idea of having a a slightly more gung ho Bond girl esque Mrs. Peel type companion. I think that would have been really really cool, and she would have been really enjoyable. Oh, but I also want Griffin to have a pet Cybermat. <laughs> <laughs> I do agree with one of those three ladies, and I actually might go with Faraya on this one because. A lot of times what we find in the companions is it's someone who has not down on their luck, but, you know, there's not really much keeping them there. And I think Astrid and Gemma were just too important to where they were to really leave. And I think Faraya would fit that mold of, all right, I'm just up and ready to leave. Let's go. Good point. And, you know, that's an interesting little bit there because that would be a fun little twist where the companion that comes along is someone that has been forced to work for a villain. Yeah. That's their backstory. That's an interesting backstory. Our next question is an, ama an amalgam of questions from Rob Levy and J.M. Casey, 
who asked very similar questions along the lines of whether the, the season was made and broadcast in the best order or whether it might have been better structured if the stories had be re been rearranged. So a, a lot of that, I think, was around we have a glut of base under siege stories. Would it have maybe seemed a little repet less repetitive in a different order? I think, uh, yeah, absolutely. I would say that if there's one thing looking back at it all, because it had such an awesome cliffhanger and it's the strongest story, Enemy of the World should have wrapped up the season. Yeah, if then you, we don't pick up the new companion. Mm. That could have been rewritten. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's true. But uh, yeah, so that's what I would do. Put any Enemy of the World at the end, keep Tomb at the beginning because you want to start off strong, and then... <laughs> Start strong, end strong, let everyone suffer in the middle. <laughs> <laughs> Julie. I actually might go with a different end, and I'm going to put the Web of Fear at the end, because I think that the Abominable Snowmen and the Web of Fear were too close to each other. Yeah. And I would think that putting Web of Fear at the end would benefit with kind of laying off the Great Intelligence for a little bit longer. Yeah, I do think I'd probably put enemy right at uh, right before that. So I'd just move those two back in the order and, and kind of rearrange it that way. But yeah, I think Web of Fear just needed to be further out. And it was originally meant to close out the season, and they rearranged because of issues behind the scenes and getting some of the stories ready. So I, I think you're 100% on the right lines there, Julie. Don? I'm going to have a slightly dissenting opinion. Okay. Ooh. I don't think it really makes that much difference. You have seven stories. Six of them are based under siege. <laughs> yeah. I agree yeah. that plot-wise, Web of Fear is too close to Snowman, because there's only two serials in between there. But if you move it forward, when, when are you going to have Victoria exit? Because she exits in the serial mm. after that. I mean, do you, do you just do Web of Fear without a female companion? Could work. Give some extra scenes. I'm, I'm talking myself out of my answer. To give some more scenes of Jamie <laughs> being lonely and sad, and then we get another thing. <laughs> but overall, in terms of mood and feel, you're not going to get a lot of variety just by sh shuffling the order. I'm with you on that, Don. Enemy of the World is slap bang in the middle of the season, and I think that's the only opportunity for a break the whole base under siege construct that we get and i think it's it's place in the middle of the season is pretty much perfect so it gives that little bit of respite i i kind of get where julie's coming from with putting web at the end and i think it probably would have been rewritten so that Anne travers would have joined the tardis crew in that scenario instead of zoe i think victoria would have stayed being written out when she was so i think that could have worked but overall yeah i'm, I'm not sure it really would have worked out the same way if it had been rearranged. So I'm, I'm going to agree with Don. I, I do want to ask a kind of follow-on question. I don't think anyone's really watched these out of order except for Don with Tomb in the past. Do you think this, this season really suffers from being so repetitive? And, and I think the reason it was so heavily repetitive was they were trying to get a syndication deal from the US and, and having a fairly standard plotline kind of helped with that at the time. If I were watching this in the 1960s, where I have a full week between episodes and I'm not having to binge it and hurriedly take notes to record something about it, I probably wouldn't have noticed it as much. In fact, I think because you've got different characters, different monsters, I think at the time, 
it, it probably wasn't heavily criticized for it. It's only now where we actually have the luxury of being able to go back and watch all these stories in some form or another that you can kind of go, wow, they're really sort of playing the same song with some variations every time. But all of them, even the worst one, is they're pretty good. They're watchable stories. I think I raised this issue when we did Wheel in Space is that, yeah, in the conditions we're watching it, seeing the Cyberman as the revealed villain in Wheel in Space, to me, was like, oh, really? But for everyone back in back in 1967 and 1968, it was like, whoa, for them, it's been half a year between Tomb and Wheel in Space for the, before they saw the Cybermen again. And that's exciting because they like, I mean, the Cybermen are good villains. And to wait six months before you see them again is a reasonable amount of time. Be it in our conditions where it's a lot more of a shortened period, we're kind of mm-hmm. like, oh, I wanted something new. It also doesn't help that in our history, we've seen so many base under siege, not only in this season of Doctor Who, but just in in TV in general, that we're just tired of it because we find it not creative and and not really thought-provoking, I don't think. But yeah, it's definitely a, we lose something by watching it so quickly together as opposed to waiting that week for every episode. And here's my... Once in a blue moon, David Lynch fact, when he came back to do Twin Peaks The Return, he actually agreed with Showtime to do it. Then he left and walked away because they didn't agree to his terms. One of his terms was that they could not put all the episodes online for streaming at once. They had to wait one week between putting up episodes because he knew it's important for the viewer to be able to let things sit in your mind and let it marinate in your brain for like a week for you to like really take it in and appreciate it instead of just gobbling up the next one. And I, I think it's interesting just on that point, Riley, and not to delve or not to move too far away from Doctor Who, but I think you're seeing a move right now away from the season drop. It's really only Netflix that's doing it. Hulu have more or less stopped. Disney Plus don't do it. Amazon don't do it. I get it. Like, for that reason exactly, it gives gives each episode some time to breathe. I like how Amazon does it, because I did it with the boys, where they dropped three episodes and then went to a weekly, because sometimes with certain types of television, you need a few episodes in order to get into it. So I actually like that approach where it's a hybrid. You know, I want to leap back a second, because I think I've figured out how we can fix Victoria's exit and move, <gasps> move, and move okay. Web of Fear to maybe just before Wheel in Space. So we can still pick up the new companion. It's easy. Travers lives and Victoria opts to stay with him. Yes. Because it works and it's her actual dad in real life. Yes. Yeah. All right. There's my fanfic. (laughs) (laughs) So we have two final questions from Nathan. Firstly, of the missing stories, Abominable Snowmen, Fury from the Deep and Will in Space, which one would you most like to see return to the archives and why? Easy. Fury from the Deep. I like it, uh, despite Robson. I love the premise, and I am slightly hesitant because I think you and I, Anthony, we discussed this. The seaweed creatures are well done in the animation. That's one thing I will give the animation credit for. I worry that it won't look as good in live action, but... I want to give it a chance. Who knows? It could have been fantastic and really, really 
kept up the creepy value. So that's my choice. All right, Julie. I'm also going with Fury from the Deep, and that is because, one, I can't stand the animation. I think that's probably the worst animation that I've seen from Doctor Who up to this point. But I do think that it could benefit from being live. I know if we could find it because Oak and what's his name? I always forget his name. Quill. Sorry, thank you. They are wonderful together. And I think that from the stills that I saw, oh, they would have been so, so good on screen. And them playing in foam would be kind of hilarious to watch. (laughs) I'm with you. Done. I'm the same. I mean, even though I wasn't as courteous to Fury as everyone else was, I would love to see it back for those same reasons. And if any of the others were returned to, I could not be disappointed. Any of them would do. Yeah, uh, I would love to see any of them for, for exactly the same reasons. But my top choice, bearing in mind beggars can't be choosers, but it, it would be Fury as well. I think there were so many scenes that were so eerie and creepy. And the few scenes that survived, such as Oak and Quill gassing that, that whole scene. Yeah, gassing yeah. the wife. That was so creepy, and I would love to see how much of it was done that well. It's very hard to judge that story because of the fact that it was almost entirely missing. I want want to know how well in live action that on the coast scene would have played with Robson just staring out into the... uh, the, Yeah. There was, I mean, that right there, and then walking into the ocean. (laughs) That was a wonderful piece of understated horror. Okay, and our last question, also from Nathan... Do you think that the measures to reduce costs by making more six-parters and fewer four-parters hampers the viewing experience? And is the payoff of having some of the spectacle, such as the chase scene in the first episode of The Enemy of the World, worth it? So it's a pro and a con, and it depends on the writing. Mm -hmm. If you can have someone who can write a six-parter and do it well such as what happened in the enemy of the world, then it works out perfectly. Uh, They're able to get those big shots and they're able to stretch the budget a little bit better because they're reusing sets and things of that nature. If the writing is poor or if they decide to throw in monsters where they're not needed, such as what happens in the ice warriors, then yes, it has some issues with having those six parters. So honestly, it's it's less about, oh, we, we're going to make it longer so we can save some money or, oh, this. It's, can I write a six-parter that actually works? Don, I know you have some strong opinions on this kind of thing. I think my thoughts have really been covered. It, it just <laughs> depends. I mean, that whole thing about the six-parter is, do you have enough plot to go around and to keep it interesting? I mean, even though the first episode of Wheel in Space is one of the best of that serial it's pure padding you get them on Mm -hmm. that on that spaceship and then you're waiting around to the point to where they can point the gun at them to show it's gonna blow the thing up i mean if all else fails just just throw in robot yeti (laughs) there's your solution for six partners i think don was hitting on it right there it's the writing and if in the trick there is that if you need to do six episodes and you don't have enough plot to cover then just give us a whole bunch of little character moments like the first episode of Wheel in Space, which is basically just the Doctor and Jamie, Jamie dealing with the loss of Victoria, and then both of them kind of like having this little moment of like, not like a, we got to investigate this, and that's like the main focus. It was more like, they're kind of investigating, but like, oh, I'm going to just take a rest or get something to eat or something. It's 
make it like a sitcom bottle episode where we just explore the characters. That would be a lot of fun instead of trying to concern ourselves with moving this plot along if we need to have it cover six episodes. I'd also like to throw out there, if they're having issues with being able to fill in some of the plot for some of them, maybe consider a two-parter that requires one set, such as The Edge of Destruction from season one. Mm-hmm. Getting those little character moments, you just have the TARDIS crew, it's just them, they're in one spot, and you can make it creepy, you can make it interesting, therefore you can save some on budget, but you really get a good small story to fill in some of those gaps five six parters so take away all those extra two parts and you're left with two four parters and one two-parter julie your point stands we would get a really tight bottle two-parter in that i would just dig a one-parter of the doctor and jamie in the tardis just sitting down drinking some scotch yes with with it with the company of griffin the chef yes yes just them having a, just a conversation, a, a uh, my dinner with Andre kind of thing for like 23 minutes, 24 minutes, done. Yeah. Nope, nope, nope. Recorder and bagpipe jam. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yes. Well, let's break that two-parter into two, into two one-parters. So you've got your, your scotch session and, and your musical jam. But they're but only playing I, the Battle of the Last Chance Saloon. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, no. No, how dare you? How dare you? <laughs> but seriously, I, I, I think the answer to the question really depends, A, on, on the writers, and B, if you break it into more four-parters, if you can get the right directors who can create something out of not having much money. You know, it's very easy to, to make more stories and for them to look cheap. I think if they have the best directors who've worked on the show, they could actually make them look good. Much as we'd love to keep going, we're out of time for this episode. Next time, we will be back as we kick off Season 6 with a story that's excitingly titled for any BDSM enthusiasts out there. It's the Dominators! <laughs> In the meantime, thank you for listening, and have a good one. You have been listening to Watchers in the Fourth Dimension with Don Smith, Riley Shrek, Julie Philippek, and myself, Anthony Williams. This episode, A Tale of Two Cybermen, was recorded on Wednesday the 16th of December 2020. In the meantime, our previous episodes are all available on your favourite podcasting app. You can interact with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Watchers4D. You can also email us at Watchers4D at gmail.com. If you're enjoying the show, please do subscribe and leave us a review or rating on your favourite podcasting app. All of those things really do help the show. And always remember, that shall not make repetitive generic storylines. That shall not make repetitive generic storylines. That shall not make repetitive generic storylines. <laughs>